were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And the second reading is from uh, James's letter, chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. That's on page 1213 of the Church Bibles. James, chapter 1, reading from verse 19. Listening and doing. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that god desires therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed and what he does. Oh, Steve, let me pray for you before you come and speak to us. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we pray for Steve, Lord, that his lips would be your lips, his words your words. Would you direct and guide the very things that come to mind as he speaks to us? And Lord, give us receptive hearts to rightly receive and to respond to your word, we pray. Amen. I'm full of admiration for Rachel. Um, I didn't catch it yesterday at four o'clock as she abseiled down the Spinnaker Tower, but I did pick up with it on social media, and I'm sure many of you will have done the same. Uh, but it did strike me that um, she's much braver than I am, and I guess than many of us would be, because if you've been up the Spinnaker Tower, um, you'll know that at the first level, there's a glass viewing platform and you can look down a hundred meters to the ground and it's quite good fun actually if you go out there um, to sort of see how many toes make their way just 
partly onto the glass and then back again. Um, and particularly uh, youngsters shrieking with delight as they looked down and sort of frightened themselves. Um, but it did strike me that one thing that none of us particularly take into account as we get in the lift and go up 100 meters, 105 meters, I think you can even go um, higher than that if you're prepared to, to brave the weather. And certainly anybody brave enough to abseil down the outside is not going to fall over. Because some of you, I guess, like me, will remember that when it was being built, there seemed to be an interminable length of time where very little seemed to be happening. And I can recall the sound, um, I'm sure many of you can as well, of the hydraulic hammers going day after day after day, bang, 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 knocking in the foundations, 84 of them. So I discovered looking on Wikipedia this morning. Um, each of them a meter square of concrete being driven right down into the seabed. So if you're going to build something, if you're going to produce something that is wonderful and that is spectacular and that will take some weight and pressure and be able to give confidence and that will cope with the wind and the weather and all that may be thrown at it, you need deep foundations. Or we might say you need deep roots. So I guess the question we need to ask ourselves is, where are our roots? And how deep are our roots? It was said of St. Aidan, um, one of the best known of the Celtic saints uh, and a tremendous apostle um, for the north of England, that as he traveled, which he did very widely, whenever he met somebody, and in those days he would speak to everybody he met, nobody could get past um, zipping away in a car or a bus or a train in those days, of course. Um, he would ask them if they knew Christ. And if they didn't, he would talk to them about what it meant to know Christ. And if they did, he would ask if they would know, like to know Christ better. And I guess that's the question we need to ask ourselves to start with. First of all, do I know Christ? And if the answer is yes, do I want to know Christ better? This is what Archbishop Justin Welby said. He said, the best decision anyone can ever make at any point in life, in any circumstances, whoever they are, wherever they are, is to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. There is no better decision for a human being, any human being. It's quite a remarkable thing to say, isn't it? But it's true. Um, is that where we are? Have we started that relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, the passage that we looked at in Acts, Acts, as you know, um, called the Acts of the Apostles, 
could probably more easily be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And there you find the birth and the growth of the church. And one of the delightful things about it is the sheer simplicity. You see, 84 um, pylons, foundations to go in to build the Spinnaker Tower. The complexity of the structure is astonishing. But the joy of the Christian faith, it's difficult. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is difficult. Jesus made no bones about that, but it's not complicated. It really isn't complicated. And what I'd like us to do is to pick out two or three elements from the passage that we heard read in Acts that talks about how the early church grew. And at the end of that passage, we read that the Lord added to their number daily, daily, those who are being saved. What an astonishing thing if we were able to say that as a church that God was adding to our number daily. How wonderful would that be? Three things particularly I want to pick out that can help us to grow in our discipleship and help us to grow as a church. The first of them is prayer. There's a lovely story that Peter Kay tells, and he said, when I was a little boy, I used to pray every night, please God, please give me a new bike. Dear God, please give me a new bike. Until eventually I realized that God doesn't work like that. So I stole one and asked him to forgive me. Well, like a lot of these stories, there's something that can speak to us through humor, isn't there? Because how we pray depends so much on what our relationship with God is like and who we see God to be. God wants a relationship with us. Prayer is not a sterile exercise. It's a deep communication and one in which we want God to speak to us every bit as much as we want to be able to speak to him. And Jesus died to make that possible for us. Relationships need communication. And communication is two-way. Otherwise, it's transmission. Why pray? One, because God wants a relationship with us. Two, because prayer changes things. I loved the wristband that our boys came home from a Christian camp with one year. There are dozens that you can get now of every possible color and description, but this one simply said, push, pray until something happens. It seems so simple and effective. Prayer changes things. It changes our view of God. We begin to understand and experience the fact that God loves us, that he wants the best for us, and that he knows us. God is not 
the God of the small print. The bit that says, ah, yes, that's what it says, but actually if you look on page 15, subparagraph, whatever it is, that's not what it really means, and there's a get-out clause here. God is not the God of the get-out clause. God's love for us is all-encompassing and all-consuming. We pray because God wants a relationship with us. We pray because prayer changes things. It changes our view of God, and it changes us. As a young Christian, I used to think to myself, I didn't say this to anybody, but I used to think to myself, what is it about God? Why is he so egotistical? Why does he want to be worshipped all the time? And it took me a long time to realize, and you can find um, the answer to my question, as I found it in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, this, this is in the, in the message, it says, nothing between us and God, our faces shining with the brightness of his face, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. We worship God not because he needs our worship, but because we need to worship. And what we worship, we become like. That's why it says God is a jealous God. Not because he goes off in a huff if we don't worship him, but because we become like the thing we worship. And God loves us so much that he won't be happy if we try to settle for second best. And the third reason we pray is because it puts us on the right track. We need to know God's will for our lives. And if we don't have a relationship with God, if we don't put ourselves in a situation where we can listen to what God says, then we can't know that what we have and what we experience and the path that we take is the path God wants us to take. All of us, I'm sure, me certainly, have been in the situation where we've known what God is saying and not wanted to take that path. And how often have we gone, la, 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 I know what you're saying, God, but I, no, I'm, not, I'm not going there. Lots of hootingly funny instances right throughout the Bible. Moses, told by God to go and speak to Pharaoh, he said, actually, please send someone else. Please, I, I mean, I'm, I get tongue-tied. I don't know what to say. I mean, find somebody who's more eloquent than me. Gideon. He said, oh, I'm the least. My tribe is the least. I mean, I'm the least of the least. I'm, I'm, you've got the wrong chap here. Jonah. What a fine example of how to run away from God. But God will chase us down because he loves us. So one of the foundations of our Christian life, of the relationship with God is prayer. The second is his word. And Mike preached on this very recently. Here's what the Bible says about itself. This is in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word, uh, good work. Here's what the message says, which is a paraphrase version. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful for showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. If you put it that way, why wouldn't we want to read the Bible? When God speaks, it has an effect. It's how God works. God works through speaking. Let there be light. And there was light. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. After four days in the grave, take the grave clothes off him. Said to the paralytic, take up your bed and walk. God works by speaking, and God will work in our hearts and will change and transform us by his word. Interesting that in both Hebrew and in Greek, the word for spirit and for breath is the same word. God speaks. When he speaks, it is by his spirit, and it's by his spirit that we are transformed. And fellowship, meeting together. A wise old pastor noticed that um, one of the young members of his congregation was missing for a number of weeks. And so we went to visit him and found him on a cold winter's afternoon, um, huddled by the fire in his sitting room. And uh, as they sat with a cup of tea, the pastor said to him, he said, no, I hadn't seen you for a few weeks. I thought, just check that you were okay. I just wanted to see that all was all right with you. He said, yeah, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. He said, oh, well, that, that's, that's good. He said, but, well, I'm beginning to wonder if I actually need to come to church because it seems to me you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And as they sat by the, by the fire, the pastor took the tongs and took one of the coals that was glowing in the fire and put it onto the hearth. He didn't say anything, but over the course of the next few minutes, it went from red to black and smoked and just became a smoldering cinder. And after a few minutes more, he took the tongs and he put it back in. And the young man said, you know, I think I might start coming back to church. It's easy to be fooled by the view that says, well, faith is a private thing, isn't it? It's between you and God. It's a very personal thing. Um, Christian faith is all about personal relationship with God. It's a private thing, isn't it? Well, actually, no and no. The Christian faith was given to the church. 
Hybels, as many of you will know, is pastor of uh, Willow Creek, a huge, huge church um, in the States, one of the mega churches. And he said, you know, I was um, preaching one time on Sunday morning. He said, um, somebody came up to me afterwards. A young man said to me, he said, Bill, that's all very well for you. He said, you know, you're talking about reading the Bible, you're talking about prayer. He said, you've no idea how busy my life is. He said, you're paid to do this. You get time within your working day to do these things. He said, I'm the head of sales and marketing for this name to the big company. He said, from the minute I get up in the morning, the phone is going, texts are coming through. Um, he said, I'm getting uh, papers to read. Even when I'm traveling from one place to another on the train, I've got papers to engage me. He said, you have no idea what it's like. And Bill said, well, I hear what you say. And he said, I can see from what you say, you, this is an incredibly busy time and busy life that you have. But I've always found that I can make time for the things that I really value. And he said, as soon as the words were out of my mouth, I could see that it had not landed well. And sure enough, the next week, this young man wasn't in church, nor the week after, or the week after that. He said, I prayed earnestly and said, Lord, I, I feel as if I've said the wrong thing at the right time or vice versa. Until several months later, he was in church again with his wife. And he said, I didn't need to go up to find him. He came to find me. And he said, Bill, I'd, I'd like to invite you to come and eat with us. He said, well, I'd love to. So they got their diaries and they worked out the time and he went uh, for this meal, wondering what was going to happen. And this chap said to him, he said, you know, I, I was pretty fed up with you actually about what you said the other week. Bill said, I just smiled. I thought now's not the time to, uh, to agree wholeheartedly with him. Um, he said, but I got to thinking. And I thought, you know, this is important. And in fact, it's so important. I need to prioritize this. And so you know what I did? I bought a rocking chair. He said, I've always wanted a rocking chair. I've got a nice place to put it. And I said, I've got some money set aside, so I bought a good one. And he said, so I get up half an hour earlier every day. And he said, I go and I sit in my chair and I read the word and I pray. And Bill said, so what's it been like? And at this point, his wife interrupted and she said, I'll tell you what it's like. He's a changed man. She said he's so much more centered, more peaceful, completely changed, quite remarkable. What do we need if we're going to pray? We come together as the people of God and we pray together. But Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room. We need a place. We need a place to pray. And we need to make time 
not to find time. And when we make time, sorry, well, excuse me a moment. I'm sorry, Lord, but this, this might be something really important. We need focus. It's so easy, isn't it? Because it has the little red blip that comes up. It's the red blip that says, you can ignore me if you want, but it might be the important thing you're waiting for. So you think, no, I'll, I'll, I'll just take it and put it in the drawer and turn the phone off and turn the radio off and determine in your heart that this is the time to spend with God. We need time for a relationship. I can spend time with my wife anytime, but if I don't actually make time to do it, that becomes a very fragile, undernourished relationship. We need a place. Where is your chair? If you like the story that Bill Hybels tells, and he tells it far better than I have, um, you can find it on YouTube. It's called Coffee with God. And he ends by saying, where is your chair? Do we have a place where we can go? Yes, we can pray anyway. Of course we can. Yes, we can pray at any time. But there's something about making a time, setting the time, having a place, and giving that time wholly to God. Studying his word, and Mike spoke in some detail about this recently. But simply to say that in reading the word, we need some kind of structure, something that will help us. And many of us have found over years that uh, using Bible notes can help. There are lots of apps on your iPad, on your iPhone these days. Um, I found one that will take you through the whole Bible in a year. Um, I thought that was a bit much for me, so I chose the one that does the New Testament in a year. Um, but find something that will help you so that you can take a small portion of God's Word and chew over it and mull over it. Because God's Word will transform us it will change us. And fellowship in meeting together. Choose a Sunday service that you will come to regularly. And don't let it be an easy excuse to say, oh, I found something else to do this week, or something easier to do. Or the weather's a bit um, drizzly today, so actually I'll stay in and watch the TV. Stick with it. It's easy, isn't it, to make excuses? And choose something through the week. Plenty of meetings through the week for prayer, for men, for women, for fellowship, um, shared, connect. They're all um, on the notice sheets that you can see. Take the time and the opportunity. If we want to grow as Christians, individually, and together. And if we want God to build something, if we want God to build 
in our lives and in our lives together, then we need to pray because growth is about growing in that relationship. And relationships need communication. They need speaking and listening. It needs a time. It needs a place. And it needs a focus. Study God's word. Or we won't know the truth. We won't learn. We won't be challenged and corrected by it. And if we simply choose our favorite Bible passages, then perhaps the word that God needs to speak to us that is challenging and difficult for us will slide past. And fellowship, look around you. Look around you. This is the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Don't leave the body without an eye or a hand or an ear. Don't be the coal that sits on the hearth and gets cold out of the warmth of the fire. And finally, in James, we heard that we need to do what the Word says, not simply to listen to it. I love the image that James uses about the chap who looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like. I've had occasion to come downstairs and my wife to look me up and down and say, don't you ever look in the mirror? To which I've now found a good answer, which is, yes, I do. I do it first thing in the morning. It's not always the most joyful experience of the day, so I see no point in repeating it. But seriously, if we don't respond to what we find in God's word, then spiritually, the stitches that are coming undone, the stain, the blotch, the mark, will remain. We won't find that cleansing and that transforming. And yes, it's difficult. Going deeper in discipleship is not complicated. But yes, it is difficult. It is challenging, and it will continue to challenge us. Sister Wendy Beckett, I think I mentioned this before, um, she of the um, art history thing and the teeth, if you want to get a picture of her. Um, she said, and it surprised me when I first heard this, she said, one of the holiest people I ever met said to me, Wendy, do you know there's a part of me that wants no part of him. And if we're truthful, fundamentally, that's what we find. That's what St. Paul said. He said, I so desperately want to do what God is telling me, to do what is right, and yet part of me does not. Let God challenge us. Let God speak to us through prayer, through the reading of his word through hearing it preached, through our fellowship together, and in hearing the word, let us open our hearts to God and respond 
And as we go deeper with God and in our discipleship, so we and our church will grow. Steve, thanks for that. Lots of challenges, lots of things for us to think through. I invite you to stand.